What's happening in the world right now, coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. The military should focus on deterring China, not on drag shows. That's what lawmakers are saying this week. It comes after revelations the Navy used a drag performer in its recruitment program. Heated testimony on Capitol Hill, Senator John Kennedy challenged a Biden administration official to answer a key question about carbon neutrality plans. The so-called godfather of AI quit his position at Google. He sounded the alarm about the technology he spent decades working on. The Metropolitan Police in London are planning to use live facial recognition technology to scan the crowds watching the King's coronation. We speak to a surveillance expert. An urgent appeal, an NTD contributor is calling on the Chinese regime to release his father, who has been sentenced to eight years behind bars for his spiritual belief. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Our top news is on the economy. Job growth in the U.S. is beating expectations. New data out today from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Today's report comes during troubles in the banking industry where regional banks are seeing runs on deposits and investors are sending stock prices tumbling. For more, NTD's business, Don Ma speaks to a job expert. All right, thanks, Kevin. So jobs report today. The U.S. economy added 253,000 jobs last month. Now, this was an increase of around 90,000 jobs compared to the month before. Unemployment also ticked down a tenth of a percent at 3.4 now. This is the lowest level for over 50 years. Average hourly earnings also went up 0.5% last month. And here to talk to me about the report is Julia Pollock, chief economist, Zip Recruiter. Now, first things first, how do you feel about today's numbers well above expectations? Well, the labor market is normalizing, it's cooling, but it's doing so at a very controlled and gradual pace. And I think that's very encouraging news for, for everyone. Uh, the labor market continues to defy expectations and even the weakest industries, even the industries that we know should be d- suffering right now amid high borrowing costs and business uncertainty, construction, manufacturing, even they are managing somehow to add jobs in this economy. So it looks like the, uh, the economy is doing just fine. The labor market is still doing well, and most measures, while they are returning to normal, are still better for workers and job seekers than before the pandemic. And, you know, on top of the, the number that we got today, unemployment actually ticked down a tenth of a percent. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Right. This is you know, the lowest unemployment rate in decades. It is a, it's showing how tight the labor market is. I mean, this is a very supply-constrained labor market. I am actually uh, in California at a hotel with a bunch of uh, ZipRecruiter customers, employers who specialize in high-volume, low-wage recruiting, and they are seeing no decline in demand for their goods and services. They are hiring, and they just can't fill vacancies quickly enough. That's because this remains a very, very, very tight labor market. Uh, where while labor supply is improving and recovering slowly, it can't possibly uh, recover fast enough to meet the need. All right, just one more thing. And of course, I have to ask about AI. A lot of, you know, a lot of talk about AI displacing jobs. What do you think the impact will be? So 
there are some announcements uh, in recent weeks that suggest that companies are uh, looking at ways to replace jobs with AI, that some are already doing so. IBM just made a, a pretty stark, uh, startling announcement uh, that they're cutting thousands of jobs and replacing them with AI. Uh, but there's also evidence coming out that AI has some unexpected effects on the labor market. You know, traditionally people expect that it'll make your highest, most educated workers sort of super uh, human and very productive, but replace the jobs of uh, less educated workers. In uh, a recent study that came out of a Fortune 500 company's 5,000 customer support staff, it actually raised productivity the most for the most young, new, and untrained, unskilled workers, uh, and had allowed them to be as productive as uh, highly skilled, highly trained workers. And so what is exciting about that is that perhaps the constraints that employers see in the labor market, um, perhaps the quality problems they see with candidates are, are not going to be such a barrier anymore. Perhaps they'll be able to hire young, less educated workers and get them up to speed much more quickly. All right, Julia, thanks for the insight today. Pleasure having you on. Take care. Good to talk to you, too. So leading the job gains was in the professional and business services sector with an increase of 43,000. That's followed by healthcare, leisure and hospitality and social assistance. And despite banking industry troubles, jobs in finance increased by 23,000. Back to you, Kevin. All right, and there's a scramble among smaller banks right now as their stock prices are taking a huge hit. We hear from a seasoned analyst on how uncertainty and sentiment are affecting American depositors. Joining me now is Joseph Travisani, senior analyst at FX Street with over 30 years experience in financial markets. Joseph, thanks for coming on to give depositors and banks a little bit of insight as to how we can navigate these tough times. My pleasure for having me on. They are difficult for depositors because they really don't have any, any good sense behind the screens, if you will, at the various banks where they have their money as to what the situation is. But primarily from now forward, I think, unless there are things at particular banks that we don't know about, this is a problem of confidence. Because people don't know what's actually going on with a great degree of certainty, they're disposed to be cautious. Disposed to be cautious means if you have money over the FDIC limit of $250,000, you consider moving it somewhere else. That's really what the problem is right now. It's confidence of depositors. And we talk about specific banks in this confidence crisis. PacWest shares values are down 50%. I mean, is it, right. there was a sign of rebound, but is there any way for them to get out of this? I mean, depositors, are they spooked? Well, it's very difficult because it is a, a, a mass psychology factor more than anything else. Now. For PacWest in particular, does their balance sheet hold the kind of problems that SVB did? Did they manage it poorly, or are they simply subject to unreasonable or at least unfounded investor fears and primarily depositor fears? I think that they probably are not subject to the actual problems on the balance sheet. That's what my guess is, but I'm not sure of that. And neither are, invest neither are investors and depositors. So what is required here, I think, is a definite statement and a lot of rhetoric from government authorities, because it is in our current situation and our current system, the government that ends up backing the financial system. 
Do you think that the government has done enough to handle this crisis? Uh, as far as rhetoric goes and assuring um, individual depositors, no, I don't. Um, it is, it, people will, will accept an explanation, at least many people will accept an explanation that is forthright and that is coherent and speaks to the facts of the situation. And I don't think I've really heard that from anyone at the Fed. They say that the banking system is safe. That's what they always say. But there are, haven't really been any concrete exposition about what the problems are and how they might be solved and how they might be made better. Let's look at Regional Bank Western Alliance. Their shares are down now 75% since the start of right. the year. Other regional banks are in a similar situation. Can they overcome this and convince investors that they're still viable? I think they can. Part of it is, you know, time and confidence. You're going to get a, a very much a reaction from, and it's been, it's been, it's been cascading from Silicon Valley Bank back in March. That is a confidence problem. So there is another issue which I, which is not really talked about very much, but that is that some of the loss in bank stock value, bank shares, are of course short sellers on the market because this is a place where you're going to get very rapid movement and potentially very large profits. But again, that's not the basic problem. The basic problem is one of confidence, and I think it's one that the government has to address for the banking system as a whole. Confidence problem, and sometimes the government does need to step in. Joseph Trevisani, Senior Analyst at FX Street, it's always great hearing your analysis. Thank you very much for having me. TurboTax will pay $141 million to taxpayers who could have filed for free. Roughly 4 million people should expect checks in the mail. Payments are part of a 2022 settlement over online ads that sent customers to TurboTax's paid service. Millions of Americans who were charged for tax preparation that should have been free should get settlement checks from TurboTax beginning next week. The payments range from $29 to $85 and are heading to more than 4 million taxpayers. The settlement is for those who filed returns for tax years 2016, 2017, and 2018 and were eligible to use TurboTax's IRS free file program but ended up in a TurboTax paid program. Now to the culture war within the U.S. military. House and Senate Republicans this week criticizing the Navy. The military branch is under fire for using a drag performer in its recruitment program. Here are the lawmakers' reactions. House Republicans on Thursday sent a letter to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. This comes after the Navy used a drag performer in its recruitment program. The lawmakers wrote, we should be focused on deterring China and other adversaries, not drag shows which do nothing to enhance our deterrence and warfighting capabilities. The letter was also sent to Navy Secretary Carlos del Toro. The lawmakers say pushing so-called woke ideology instead of patriotism will worsen the recruitment crisis. They wrote, as you know, recent estimates show that only 9% of America's youth are interested in military service. This troubling reality has led to the Army missing the recruitment goals for last year by 15,000 soldiers, or 25%. The congressman added that pushing so-called woke ideology instead of patriotism will worsen the recruitment crisis. The Army missed its recruitment goal by 25% last year. And just a day earlier, a group of 14 Republican senators also sent a letter to Secretary Del Toro. They want him to provide more details about the Digital Ambassador Program, which hosted the drag performer. They ask, does the Navy endorse drag shows? Where does the Navy draw the line on promotion of the personal activities of its influencers? 
Would the Navy enlist burlesque or exotic dancers to reach possible recruits? The Republican lawmakers asked Del Toro how much Navy funding went toward the Digital Ambassador Program. A Navy spokeswoman told NTD that members of the pilot program were not compensated for their participation. The performer in question is Yeoman Second Class Joshua Kelly. He reportedly participated in the Digital Ambassador Initiative from October 2022 to March 2023. Senator John Kennedy had a fiery exchange with Deputy Energy Secretary David Turk during testimony on Capitol Hill this week. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on that and what senators have to say about the DOE's budget. Senator John Kennedy didn't appear convinced that the amount of money spent to achieve carbon neutrality in the U.S. would pay off. Kennedy repeated his question to Deputy Energy Secretary Turk several times, trying to get a concrete number. If we spent $50 trillion to become carbon neutral by 2050 in the United States of America, how, how much is that going to reduce world temperatures? This is a global problem, so we need to reduce our emissions and we need to do everything we can. How much, if we do our part, countries. is it going to reduce so world we're temperatures? So we're 13% of global emissions. You don't know, right do you? You don't know, do you? You can do the math. We need to. You don't know, do you, Mr. Secretary? So we're 13 percent of. If you know, why won't you tell me? If we went to zero, that would be 13 percent. You don't know, do you? You just want us to spend 50 trillion dollars, and you don't have the slightest idea whether it's going to reduce world temperatures. Kennedy also addressed the funding disparity for different types of energy in the DOE budget. The senator pointed out the 38% increase in funding for so-called green energy, only 2% for fossil fuels, and a reduction in funding for nuclear energy by 12%. This is from your website, okay? Nuclear power is the most reliable energy source and it's not even close. Kennedy called for investment in all forms of energy to make all of them cheaper, more available, and cleaner. Senator Bill Haggerty also addressed the lack of Department of Energy funding for nuclear energy. This administration seems to be more focused on pouring billions of taxpayer dollars into wind and solar when we have a serious situation where China controls a lot of the natural resources and a lot of the supplies there. Haggerty is calling for more investment in advanced nuclear technologies where he says the U.S. possesses a tech lead and can build a supply chain that doesn't pass through China. Meanwhile, Democrat Senator Joe Manchin is accusing the Biden administration of having a radical climate agenda. He says it is ignoring the domestic energy security part of the Inflation Reduction Act. Manchin says the administration is focusing on the clean energy and environmental parts of the act, while slow rolling and disregarding the parts that call for investing in fossil fuels to bolster domestic energy security. I will do everything I can in my power to prevent that from happening. The senator says that includes voting to repeal his own bill. Senator Joe Manchin was one of the Inflation Reduction Act's sponsors along with Senator Chuck Schumer. The White House did not immediately return a request for comment on Manchin's allegation that the Biden administration is failing to implement the energy security provisions of the Inflation Reduction Act as written and on his threat to repeal the legislation. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The United Auto Workers Union is holding back on endorsing President Biden for re-election. They are worried union members are getting left behind in the transition to electric vehicles. The union supported Biden in the 2020 election, but is now skeptical over his electric vehicle agenda. The union's leadership recently met with people from the Biden administration and several members of Congress. 
The union's president said, quote, the federal government is pouring billions into the electric vehicle transition with no strings attached and no commitment to workers. The Biden administration wants 50% of all new cars and light trucks to be electric by 2030. It also has set the goal of 30% of all new heavy-duty trucks. Despite skepticism over Biden's support for auto workers, the union president also says, quote, another Donald Trump presidency would be a disaster. COVID-19 is officially no longer a global health emergency. The World Health Organization made that declaration this morning. Its International Health Regulators Emergency Committee met yesterday. The WHO Director General said the virus's downward trend for more than a year has allowed most countries to return to normal life. The WHO declared COVID a public health emergency of international concern in January 2020. The United States is set to end its COVID-19 public health emergency on May 11th. Now to energy. New York becomes the first state in the country to ban natural gas stoves. New state laws ban phosphate, new state laws ban fossil fuel combustion in most new buildings starting in 2026. The final vote followed weeks of what Governor Kathy Hochul called very intense negotiations. The gas stove ban passed as part of the $229 billion state budget. Republican leaders in the state Senate criticized the measure, saying it would drive up utility bills and housing costs. The measure prohibits fossil fuel equipment in new buildings under seven stories by 2026 and by 2029 in taller ones, effectively requiring all electric heating and cooking. There are exemptions for places such as hospitals, manufacturing facilities, and restaurants. Existing buildings are also exempt from the ban. According to the Energy Information Administration, around three in five households in New York State rely on natural gas for heating. The George Soros-backed circuit attorney for St. Louis will resign June 1st following a push to remove her from office. She is accused of neglecting to keep the city safe. Kim Gardner posted her letter of resignation on Twitter two days after a judge ordered claims against her to move forward. Legal action was initiated following public outcry after a teen lost both legs in a car crash. It involved an alleged repeat bond violator. Gardner is accused of taking no action on thousands of criminal cases. She initially vowed to fight the attempt to remove her from office. However, she said her decision to leave was motivated by a bill advancing in the Missouri legislature. It would make the city attorney a position appointed by the governor rather than an elected one. But the case is not over. The Missouri Attorney General is seeking to remove her from office as soon as possible. He isn't waiting until her June 1st official resignation date. And now on to the media. Tucker Carlson seems to have predicted his exit from Fox. That was in a pre-recorded video he sent to the Conservative Political Action Conference in Hungary. The clip was aired yesterday, and it Carlson sent words of support to the political conference, then joked that he would pay them a visit if he got fired. I wish I was there in Budapest. If I ever get fired and have some time and can leave, I will be there with you. But in the meantime, Godspeed, we are thinking of you and cheering you on. It isn't clear when this video was recorded. Last night in Alabama, Carlson made his first public appearance after his departure from Fox News. He spoke at an event for a faith-based nonprofit that was planned months ago. In his speech, Carlson didn't directly address Fox News, but called himself the first unemployed person ever invited by the organization. 
He also touched on what he believed to be lies from the government and the media, highlighting measures against COVID-19. In other news, the Trump legal team is reportedly trying to move the former president's criminal case from New York City to a federal court. If successful, it could mean a more favorable outcome for Trump. Shifting to federal court could give Trump an advantage because it would expand the possible jury pool outside of Manhattan, where more voters favored President Biden and Democrats. A federal judge would have to approve the request. The 45th president entered a not guilty plea to 34 felony counts of falsifying business records. It's in connection to payments that his campaign made during the 2016 election to silence allegations about an affair. Trump has denied having an affair and also denied any wrongdoing in the case. On a private visit to Ireland yesterday, Trump responded to another case going on in New York, a civil battery and defamation case. This is a political attack. This is a political attack. It's the only way they think they can win the election because they're losing. Biden's losing. This is a political attack. But I'm going to go back early. It's a disgrace that it can happen. E. Jean Carroll has accused Trump of sexual assault in a department store in the mid-1990s. She says he then defamed her when he denied the claim. Trump has denied all wrongdoing. Over to Florida, where a father is facing charges after authorities say he punched an umpire during a high school baseball game. The incident happened during a game at Liberty High School in Kissimmee on April 18th. According to the arrest warrant, the sheriff's department says a 63-year-old umpire who is a disabled veteran got into an argument with a player's son. His father responded by angrily approaching the umpire and knocking him out. The dad was arrested Wednesday and was charged with battery on a sports official and disruption of a school function. He was held on a $1,500 bail and told not to attend any more Liberty High School games. And coming up, are Americans' financial secrets finding their way into Beijing's hands? That's the concern coming from two Republican lawmakers. Find out what companies are under scrutiny right here on NTD News. Welcome back. We continue with an urgent call for help from an NTD contributor. Joe Yo hosts a military program for NTD's Chinese language channel. Joe is calling on Beijing to release his father after he was sentenced to eight years behind bars. His crime? Practicing his spiritual belief, Falun Gong. Here are the details. Zhou Yo lives a double life, writing software code by day hosting a Chinese military channel by night. And now he's taken on a third role, trying to rescue his father from a Chinese detention center an ocean away. This is just unfair. This is outrageous. My father did nothing, but he will be in prison for eight years. My father is already 62 years old. So when he is out, he will be almost 70. I don't know even what, when will be the next time I see my father. Two weeks ago, Chinese authorities sentenced his father, Zhou Deyong, to eight years in prison for practicing the spiritual meditation discipline Falun Gong. Falun Gong is based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. The meditation practice has been the target of a Beijing-run persecution campaign for over two decades. Millions of practitioners have been thrown in jail and tortured. At least 4,000 have been killed. 
An unclear number have had their organs harvested by force for sale in China's underground organ transplant market. His son believes Chinese authorities handed out the sentence because of his own influence. Zhou Yu hosts a top Chinese YouTube channel focusing on military and defense news. I talk about a lot about Taiwan, a lot about what happened in Ukraine, and it may also put me on their radar. And by sentencing my father, it's another way to punishing me. Zhou's father has been detained for over two years. In 2021, police broke into his home and raided his property without a search warrant. Chinese police also denied Joe's father's access to legal help. So the next thing I do is I'm trying to call the local prosecutor's office. I'm telling them that I live in America and I already talked to my congressman Bidurakis and my congressman has already written a letter to President Xi to just to inquire about my father's situation. And it worked. Soon after, police officers allowed the lawyer to meet with Joe's father. The man is now being held in a detention center, though his lawyer says his health is declining. As for Joe himself, life hasn't been the same since his father was arrested. What happened to my father put a lot of pressure on myself and on my family because your father is in prison. We don't know the well-being of him and we cannot talk to him. It has been two years, and something worse, something bad might happen to him. U.S. lawmakers have stepped in to help. Eight congressmen, including Florida Senator Marco Rubio and Rick Scott, sent U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken a letter urging the State Department to raise Joe's father's case with Beijing. The State Department responded that officials would take the opportunity where appropriate to communicate with China. Joe says he hopes the State Department will take action. NTD News, New York. Can Beijing gain access to American financial data, including social security numbers? That's the question two senators are shining a spotlight on. Here's NTD's Tiffany Meyer with more. Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville and Rep. Jim Banks are demanding answers from the country's top stock market regulators, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, or FINRA. In a letter Wednesday, they raised the issue of whether Chinese-linked companies are complying with American laws. That's in terms of how they handle American data. Up for debate, stock trading platforms Webull Financial and Moomoo. Here's the lawmaker's argument. Webull and Moomoo collect highly sensitive personal information from millions of their U.S. customers, including personally identifiable information such as social security numbers, mailing addresses, and financial account data. They say Webull and Moomoo's parent companies have ties with Chinese tech giant Xiaomi and developer Tencent. Both have reportedly helped the Chinese regime to surveil and suppress its citizens. They know that while Webull has eight FINRA representatives in China, the fact that they're in China raises concerns about whether U.S. rules are being followed. Tuberville emphasizing that the Chinese regime poses the biggest threat facing our country today. Adding, China doesn't need a spy balloon to steal our information. They've got spies in the smartphones of millions of Americans, harvesting valuable information every second. Tuberville and Banks are giving FINRA and the Securities and Exchange Commission until the end of the month to respond. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. 
And just ahead, conservatives in the UK received some bad news in local elections. Find out how the prime minister and the leader of the opposing Labour Party react. Wagner Group forces will reportedly pull out of the war-battered city of Bakhmut. We'll have more for you shortly here on NTD News Today. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's Conservative Party is facing a bleak set of local election results today. Voters turn away from his party amid surging inflation and stagnant economic growth. But what I am going to carry on doing is delivering on the people's priorities. Halving inflation, growing the economy, reducing debt, cutting waiting lists and stopping the boats. That's what people want us to do. That's what I'm going to keep hard at doing. And make no mistake, we are on course for a Labour majority at the next general election. The results showed the Conservatives suffering a net loss of about 460 seats. The main opposition Labour Party added about 260 seats and the Liberal Democrats gained about 140 seats. Sunak said local elections results so far showed that people wanted his ruling party to deliver on their priorities. Opposition Labour Party leaders Keir Sturmer says the Labour Party is on course for a majority at the next general election. He describes Sunak's party as the problem, not the solution. And more news from the UK. The Metropolitan Police are planning to use live facial recognition technology to scan the crowds watching the King's coronation. It will be the biggest operation of its kind in the country, with cameras observing hundreds of thousands of people on the streets of London. Police say it's to catch terror threats and wanted criminals, but campaign groups have criticized it as a violation of human rights. Entity's Malcolm Hudson has more. The streets here are expected to be packed with hundreds of thousands of people during the King's coronation, and they may all have their biometric data logged. London's Metropolitan Police say they intend to use facial recognition technology with the aim of catching criminals. But campaign groups have likened the software to surveillance systems used in China and have hit out saying it shouldn't be used in Britain. Security engineering professor Ross Anderson said there are numerous reasons why this technology is problematic. It is rather problematic to use bulk facial recognition on crowds. And there's a number of reasons for this. Um, first, uh, bulk surveillance without um, any kind of targeting, you know, without a, a particular targeted purpose and a warrant, um, is against European human rights law. So you can expect legal challenges. Second, um, the databases that police forces have of suspects um, are often themselves suspect and have often been gathered in circumstances which are open to legal challenge. He said the police have lost legal cases after keeping biometric data on their national database that should have been destroyed. Things like fingerprints, facial data and DNA of people who've been acquitted or who are simply bystanders at crime scenes. Anderson said a third concern is if the police are overly reliant on the recognition technology. And what you've also got to do is to think in terms of the coronation itself as a ceremony. Uh, I mean, what bad things could go wrong as a result of using a technology like this? Well, um, facial recognition technologies do have a significant false alarm rate, and the false alarm rate is worse for people of colour because the databases or neural networks tend uh, to have more white people than they have uh, persons of colour. He added that many factors can affect the identification software. A person's pose, the angle of the footage, the lighting on a person, 
If it's sunny, a person may have one side of their face bright and the other dark, which is very different to the standard prison mugshot they'd be comparing it to. These factors can increase the risk of false positive identification. Anderson said when you train deep neural networks like recognition software, you typically want masses of data. But I rather suspect that what may happen um, is that they would um, run their facial recognition software against much larger databases than just you know, the profiles of all the people who are known bad for a specific purpose. And this is kind of intrinsic in the way that large neural networks are trained. And then you end up having an output of the names and dates of birth and addresses and whatever of tens of thousands of people who just happened to attend the coronation. The Met Police said the watch list will be focused on those whose attendance on Coronation Day would raise public protection concern. They also said their tolerance for disruption during the coronation will be low and they will deal robustly with anyone undermining the coronation. Malcolm Hudson, NTD News, London. More on concerns surrounding tech. One of the pioneers of artificial intelligence quit his position at Google, saying he regrets his work. Here's what Jeffrey Hinton has to say about the threat of digital intelligence. These things will have learned from us by reading all the novels that ever were and everything Machiavelli ever wrote, um, that how to manipulate people, right? And they'll be, if they're much smarter than us, they'll be very good at manipulating us. You won't realize what's going on. Speaking at a conference at MIT this week, Jeffrey Hinton said he found recent advances in artificial intelligence to be scary. The British computer scientist is known as the godfather of AI. His groundbreaking work in deep learning and neural networks laid the foundation for much of today's AI technology. Last month, Hinton left his job as vice president and engineering fellow at Google. In a Twitter post, he said he quit to speak freely about the dangers of AI. In another interview, Hinton addressed what he called the existential threat from that technology. But if you think about the existential threat, the existential threat is these things will take control and wipe all of us out. Using an example, he said that chatbots are not like human biological intelligence. They can perform better than the brain. And the reason they might be much better is you could have 10,000 copies of the same model that are all identical because they're digital. And when one copy learns something, all the copies know it. So it's as if you had 10,000 people. And whenever one person learns some new skill, all the others automatically know it. And that's kind of frightening. His concerns struck a chord with many others in the industry. After OpenAI launched its new version of GPT chatbot in March, tech leaders signed an open letter warning that the software poses profound risks to society and humanity. You can imagine a teenager who just for a bit of fun gets it to write a program to attack some critical government service, a cyber attack on some critical government service. Now, that's probably not going to mean the end of the world, but it's, uh, it can potentially be extremely damaging. Hinton pointed out another particular aspect of AI, namely its ability to create false images and texts, so much so that people won't be able to tell what's true anymore. He urged mankind to collaborate in dealing with this external enemy. Turning now to the Ukraine war, the leader of Russia's Wagner Group Mercenary Force said today that his forces would leave the Ukrainian city of Bakhmut. Russia has been trying to capture the city since last summer. We were put on what's known as artificial ammunition deficit, ammunition hunger. The ammunition is freely available in the depots. We were receiving only 30% of what we needed. For that reason, our losses were significantly higher than they should have been. 
Prigozhin said they would pull back on May 10th. He asked defense chiefs to insert regular army troops in their place. Wagner has been spearheading Russia's long and costly attempt to capture Bakhmut. Prigozhin said three weeks ago that his men controlled more than 80% of the city, but Ukrainian defenders have held out, and Prigozhin has vented increasing anger at what he describes as a lack of support from the Russian defense establishment. Bakhmut has taken on huge symbolic importance for both sides because of the sheer intensity and duration of the fighting there. The U.S. Ambassador to Russia, Lynn Tracy, visited detained American Paul Whelan in prison on Thursday. It is Tracy's first visit with Whelan since she took up her post in Moscow, but she has spoken to him on the phone. She said on Twitter the U.S. remains committed to securing Whelan's release. Whelan was detained in Russia in 2018 and later sentenced to 16 years in prison on an espionage charge he vehemently denies. The U.S. was unable to secure Whelan's release last year when it brought home wrongfully detained Americans Trevor Reed in April and Brittany Griner in December. Whelan is one of two Americans wrongfully detained in Russia. The other, Wall Street Journal reporter Ivan Gerskovich, was imprisoned more than a month ago. Still to come, a new exhibition at the British Museum is focused on opulence. Learn about the craftsmanship in the Middle East and Southeastern Europe over 2,000 years ago. And a chariot from Pompeii is part of a new exhibit in Rome. Find out what the ancient ride tells us about Romans' daily lives when we return. Good to have you back with us. A new exhibition at the British Museum explores the themes of luxury and power in the ancient Near East. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on the gold, silver, and glass treasures. Luxury and Power, Persia to Greece, explores the Persian and Greek attitudes toward luxury and power. Particularly, it's looking at how luxury was used as a political tool and stretching it across several different ancient cultures that span the Balkan Peninsula, Middle East, all the way through to Central Asia. This exhibit from Bulgaria consists of eight containers for pouring wine and one bowl for consumption. It's the first time the treasure is in the UK since 1976. Eight of these vessels are rytons, that means they're wine pourers, and the other one is a drinking bowl or a libation bowl. Um, but what they do is showcase this relationship between luxury as superlative, supreme objects and power as exercising political authority. A golden oak wreath features small acorns, a bee, two cicadas, and branches. The piece dates back to a time when the Persian Empire clashed with Greece. The Greeks were the self-styled enemies of the Persians at the time, so you can imagine they weren't particularly objective. And they were trying to explain how they could have won as a loose conglomeration of Greek city-states against what was the most incredible empire in the ancient world at that time. This gilded silver pouring instrument is part griffin, part spout. The exhibition features objects from Afghanistan to Italy. This ties in well with our future plans for the museum. Um, we're looking at kind of trying to tie together more of our cultures and not just have everything individual, but bring across themes and trade and interactivity, which was very important to us. The Persians' impact is felt even today. 
Well, luxury and power is quite a charged idea, of course. We still see it today. Um, we have ideas of influencers and what luxury and power means. And you might actually say that Persians were the original influencers, if you like. Luxury and Power, Persia to Greece, runs until August 13th at the British Museum. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Check this out. A historian believes he has solved a mystery surrounding one of the best-known artworks in the world. Silvano Vincetti announced Thursday that he has identified the location in the background of Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa. He says the bridge pictured in the famous painting is the Romito Bridge in the nearby Tuscan town of Laterina. The historian made a virtual reconstruction of the bridge to show the similarities between it and the painting and pointed to a stretch of territory that he says corresponds to what da Vinci portrayed in the artwork's landscape. Vincetti says he drew on documents from the state archives in Florence for his research and found da Vinci lived near the area between 1501 and 1503. Back then, the bridge was in use and had four arches as depicted in the artwork. A bridal chariot from Pompeii is part of a new exhibition in Rome. The piece will be on display for the next three months, and today's Andrew Thomas has more on the ancient ride. This reconstructed Pompeii bridal chariot was discovered in 2021 under 15 feet of volcanic ash. The ancient four-wheeled vehicle features silver and bronze ornaments and erotic artwork. Brides used the chariot to move to their husbands' homes. As was immediately recognizable, it was not a chariot for a livestock transport, for carrying bread or for other agricultural activities, but a ceremonial chariot. A wagon covered in bronze and silver, which was meant to shine, had four wheels and was decorated in wood and red. The restoration was a painstaking process. The excavation destroyed the imprints on the ash that we had of the disappeared materials, so to reconstruct the chariot, many documentary sources were needed. It was only through documentation that the restoration of individual pieces and assembly could be done. A complex task, but I have to say very satisfying in the result. The excavation itself was a huge undertaking. The restoration took over a year, as did the excavation, because it is an extremely complex artifact made of wood, iron, and bronze and silver. The problem is that the materials lasted while the wood disappeared, and it was the wood that gave the structure stability. Now the chariot is on display in the Baths of Diocletian as part of a Museo Nazionale Romano exhibit. The museum director says the chariot provides insight into Romans' daily lives. We display the Civita Giuliana chariot in a section about that period of history. This is because we empathize with the ancients, and this section has numerous exhibits that recall the daily life of the ancients, life in the house, life in the city, all public and private activities. The chariot dates back to 300 AD. The exhibit at the Baths of Diocletian also features an array of other artifacts. The chariot will be on display for three months, starting May 4th. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Researchers in the U.S. and France are studying the distinctive vertical bubbles in glasses of champagne. Now they've discovered it's closely linked with the taste. Here's the story. Researchers from Brown University have been trying to figure out why champagne bubbles fizzle straight up. Now they know why. The study's lead researcher explains that the substance that gives champagne its flavor also loosens its surface tension. There are these molecules 
that attach to the surface of bubbles, they're called surfactants. Uh, and those molecules, which in the case of champagne, happen to be the good stuff, the flavor molecules. Not all bubbles in carbonated drinks behave the same way. In beer, bubbles go in all directions. Beer, of course, has a different flavor and a different composition, different origin, or a, com com a completely different origin from sparkling wine. So in that case, those molecules are of a different kind. They're proteins that are smaller. You don't see the bubbles in the bottles themselves because they're under extraordinary pressure. And as this happens, you know, as the yeast eat the sugars of, of the grape juices, uh, they, they, the carbon dioxide uh, accumulates in the liquid, and that's why the pressure inside the bottle increased. These bubbles have drawn the attention of scientists around the world. The discovery of their mechanics could help shed light on physics and the natural world. That is of uh, significant importance to understand many natural phenomena, like the way methane bubbles rise from the bottom of the ocean, or how we produce penicillin, right? The scientists have also been enjoying some of their research in the lab. Some admit they may have tasted a sample. <laughs> There's lots of that to drink anyway, but yes, uh, we, um, we did conduct some experiments with actual uh, champagne, sparkling wine, and, and some beer. Uh, but again, it was just a few, a few glasses just to test. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. Scientists are looking for new marine species. The initiative is called Ocean Census, and we'll start with a mission to the Arctic. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest on the endeavor. Ocean Census is ambitious. It aims to identify 100,000 marine species in the next decade. Dive, dive, dive. Scientists plan to use submarines, robots, and even artificial intelligence to identify new life forms our knowledge of where life is in the ocean, how much of it there is, uh, is very limited. And without that knowledge, we can't modify our human activities to conserve that life for future generations. UK-based research institute Necton and the Japanese nonprofit Nippon Foundation founded the initiative. The Alliance of Scientists hopes to accelerate the discovery of marine species. It's all well and good looking for the next big science paper, but without understanding what animals live where and what they do, we cannot hope to understand how our oceans are going to respond in the future or how we can best protect them. The Schmidt Ocean Institute will make its remotely operated underwater vehicle available to ocean census. The ROV is named Sebastian. The vessel is able to go up to 15,000 feet below the surface. It can live stream 4K footage and collect samples, but AI is also going to play a role. We need to label everything, that's the first step. And so training programs, machine learning to identify and label automatically will then allow us to know what's in that video. Uh, and then using that data, it can then feed into AI. The Welcome Sanger Institute is also part of Ocean Census. The UK-based genomics and genetics research nonprofit will help identify new species. There's so much of the ocean that is undiscovered in terms of its species richness and diversity. And the people who will be out there capturing and collecting these organisms and describing them and seeing them for the first time and preserving them in such a way that they can come here and we can generate that baseline understanding of, of their genomes 
a census of marine life was carried out between 2000 and 2010. Scientists discovered at least 1,200 new species. Ocean Census hopes to add to the list. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Police officers in Greenberg, New York, had an important mission to accomplish. They pulled a flock of ducklings out of a storm drain. When the 10 ducklings found themselves in trouble, police officers were soon on the scene. One policeman removed the grate and another kept the birds in a net as they let out cries for help. But don't worry, the story has a happy ending. The rescue team returned the ducklings to their mother. An officer brought the family to a nearby creek and released them. None of them appeared to have been injured in the process. Some special weddings yesterday in Akron, Ohio. Brides and grooms took their vows with a passion for Star Wars. Along with six other couples, Julia and Robert Jones took advantage of May the 4th for a Star Wars-themed wedding. Most of the newlyweds wore traditional garments, like a white dress for the bride and a tie for the groom, but the Joneses wore long tunics resembling characters from the Star Wars series. If people are going to love each other, they'd do it no matter what, because even if there's like wolves and whatever stopping people, they're still going to oh, feel one. how they feel, and there's no stopping that. It's like Anakin and Padme. Maybe, yeah. Both held their iconic lightsabers while exchanging vows and rings in front of the judge. The couple said they felt a force calling them to commit to the themed wedding. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City. 